You know, John warns the people that they cannot count on their heritage to get them into heaven. Yeah, we're talking from Luke chapter 3. This is an interesting day. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, where we take you through the Bible. That's Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. We do it every year, and we are in the New Testament Gospels. It is a very interesting. We'll talk about this in about three minutes. Corey and Ryan are here right now. Corey? Well, we're in the Gospel of Luke today, and Luke is really good at giving us historical markers. So we're going to be taking a look at one such marker today. Ryan? Today I'm focused on Luke chapter 4, where Jesus quotes a very important prophecy from Isaiah 61. Very interesting, and uh, the, uh, we'll talk about that still to come. Janice? Today I'm going to talk about preparing the way. All right. So this is all set up. It's ready. We're going to be talking about it. Let's launch. Let's go. Open up your Bible and let's listen to what God has said to us. Luke 3, 1 through 14. Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Ituria and the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones, and even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none, and he who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. 
We are in Luke chapter three and four, and may I say happy Thanksgiving to all of our Canadian friends who are celebrating Thanksgiving on this day. Now, it would be nice if we could stay true to the scriptures while also preaching how great people are all, and that God will endorse every lifestyle and every choice of ours. But that isn't a reality, is it? Or at least it should not be happening. It's not enjoyable to have to preach about sin and devastation caused by pride and carelessness and godless living. In fact, God teaches us to pay attention to his word because that's the right thing to do. The Bible tells us the truth. And Christ has commissioned us to be people of truth. The truth may be heard, but is it worth it? Well, through the Bible, the 66 books that are unarguably the most unique body of literature in history, God confronts us. He doesn't confront us to be mean, but rather to heal us, to change us, to save us from our own destructions. Likewise, God ordained John the Baptist to confront people with the truth. The people that represented or repented of their sins, I should say, were baptized by John the Baptist. But the religious leaders that refused to repent, John seems to have regularly chastened. Now, this is really something, because, you know, Luke is a detailed writer. And as we focus on this, we, we have to understand that, that the details here are really, really interesting. John the Baptist preaches. Now, what does John say? It's going to be very interesting. A lot of people know John the Baptist as a name, but what does he say? Actually, his words are very, uh, actually, I think he'd be canceled today in about 20 seconds of his preaching because of what he, how he preached and what he said. Anyway, Father, I pray today as we go about this and we learn about John the Baptist, that you would teach us your way and show us your paths. The Holy Spirit, Father, has put this word in here. And we pray that we would read that and listen to it. Thank you, Father. And help us to open our hearts today to hear you. We're not going to hear our thoughts. We want to hear you. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we all said together, amen. Let's look at the scripture. This is interesting. Luke 3, verses 1 through 8. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Etria, the region of Traconus and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene. While Ananias and Caiaphas were the high priest, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sin, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low, the crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation 
of God. Verse 7. And then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, this is, here's what he says, brood of vipers. <laughs> and that's, that, that'd be perfect for getting canceled today. Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Listen, John warns the people that they cannot count on their heritage to gain favor with God. God has no grandchildren. We each must decide who Jesus Christ is to us. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Is Jesus Christ a nice man over here who taught decent things? Or is he Lord of your life? That's the true definition of somebody who calls themselves a Christian. That means Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. Very interesting. Luke chapter 3, verse 9. And even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees... Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Destruction by fire is the future for those who reject Christ. I'm telling you, it's true. There is no waffling with sin. It must be confronted. See, Jesus Christ said, if you come to me and give me your sin, I will take it from you. Because I've paid the cost of sin. Jesus Christ came and lived on the earth. And he's born fully of God. Born through the Virgin Mary. And, and, and we, we ended up crucifying him. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And he didn't say much. He took the death. A horrible, painful, awful death. And then two Pharisees risked their career and gave up their career and buried his body, covered him with the Jewish burial, and immediately, three days after, he rose from the dead. And if we believe that, and we have committed our life to it, we are Christians. 10 to 14. So the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? And he answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. And then the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? And so he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. Justice, justice. We must learn to be compassionate with no compromise or righteousness on righteousness. We must not compromise on it. God has spoken his word and it has not and will not change. The word of God does not change. The word of God is truth. The word of God is eternal. It doesn't change. I know there's some people in other countries trying to change the word of God. They can't do it. The Holy Spirit has taught us. 
And if we stay focused on the Holy Spirit and keep God's word close to us, thy word have I hidden my heart, memorize parts of it, memorize as much as we can, thy word have I hidden my heart that I might not turn against you, then we will understand what Psalm 119 verse 11 says and we will live it, beloved. God will keep us faithful to him. That's something that we need to pray about and something we need to consider today as we continue to read God's wonderful word. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you clap and when you get excited, you are celebrating life. Do you understand that? Jesus Christ gave us life. But he promised that the Holy Spirit would be sent. Welcome back to the program. Today our reading assignment is Luke chapters 3 and 4, and my segment revolves around chapter 4. And there's something here that we really don't want to miss. See, in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 21, Jesus publicly reads from Isaiah 61, which contains a very well-known messianic prophecy. But he doesn't read the entire thing, which is very noteworthy. And then he says in verse 21, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, to understand what Jesus was doing here, we need to turn back to Isaiah 61 and read this prophecy in its full context, because Jesus was using it to fulfill a promise that God had made. Check it out. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, the prophet Isaiah proclaims that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Although the immediate context of this prophecy involved God's promise to release the Jewish people from the bondage of exile, it also looked ahead to the bigger picture, when God would release the entire world from the bondage of sin through a Messiah or a Savior. That this passage is ultimately referring to the Messiah is indisputable, since Isaiah many times identifies this Savior as the one whom the Spirit of the Lord God was upon. And just as God kept his short-range promise by delivering the Jews from exile, he also kept his long-range promise by liberating the entire world from sin, because just over 700 years later, he sent his promised Redeemer, whom he called Jesus, a name that means the Lord is salvation. Significantly, Jesus publicly announced and acknowledged his role at the synagogue in Nazareth by quoting this same Isaiah passage. As Luke 4, 17-21 records, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to Jesus. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
And Jesus rolled up the scroll, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. While Jesus clearly identifies himself as the promised Redeemer of the world whom Isaiah saw, notice that he doesn't finish the passage. As a matter of fact, Jesus stops mid-sentence just before Isaiah mentions God's day of vengeance. Why? Because while the first portion of Isaiah's prophecy was fulfilled through Jesus' first coming, God's judgment of the wicked and his physical kingship over the world is reserved until the second coming, where Jesus will come not as a sacrificial lamb, but rather as a conquering lion. So in Isaiah 61, which Jesus quotes from in Luke chapter 4, God promises coming deliverance to the Jewish exiles at that time. But he also promises deliverance to the entire world from sin and death through the Messiah, Jesus. This was accomplished during his first coming through his perfect life, death, and resurrection. But notice that there's still more of this prophecy remaining to be fulfilled. Jesus indicated this by stopping partway through this prophecy. During his first coming, Jesus proclaimed liberty to the spiritual captives and recovered the sight of the spiritually blind. And he set at liberty those who were spiritually oppressed, and he proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor. But still to be fulfilled is the day of God's vengeance on the wicked and the comforting of the mourners. This will be a time when God deals with evil and establishes righteousness and justice on the earth, and Jesus will rule the world as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that, that time is not yet. Uh, he hasn't read that part of the scripture yet. Uh, so we are in, we're waiting for that. And this mm -hmm. is what we call right now, the time we live in, what I believe to be the, the time of grace. The time when we wait for God to finish sending his gospel out and people are committing to it. Very mm -hmm. interesting. Mm -hmm. Very good. Okay, Corey. All right. Luke. Luke is really good at giving us historical markers, like I said off the top of the program. And today is no different. I mean, you'll notice in Luke chapter 3 just how many historical markers Luke gives us here. He's dating the call of John the Baptist to begin his ministry that we know him for, right? His baptizing ministry, his calling for the repentance uh, for people to repent of their sins and baptize them for repentance, for the coming of the Messiah, for the coming of the kingdom of God. And uh, Luke gives tells us that it's in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. He mentions Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea. Herod was tetrarch of Galilee. His brother Philip was tetrarch in those, of those territories. Licinius, tetrarch of a different territory. And it was during the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas. So lots of markers here letting us know exactly when John the Baptist was called. Today, we are taking our cues from Luke. We're gonna be focusing in on the historical person of Pontius Pilate. Obviously, he's not just here in the scripture. He was governor of Judea in Jerusalem and presiding over the trial of Jesus Christ that led to Christ's execution. So let's take a look at Pontius Pilate. The man Pontius Pilate comes down to us through history in a few different ways. The New Testament, historians Josephus and Philo of Alexandria, and an inscription discovered in Pilate's Judean home, Caesarea. These histories tell us a few common facts about Pilate, that he was the governor or prefect of Judea, which was a Roman province that encapsulated the ancient land of Israel, and that he condemned Jesus to death by crucifixion. The Bible doesn't have much to add on the character of Pontius Pilate. 
Some Christians of history have attempted to exonerate him for this cruelty by noting his seeming indifference, the washing of his hands, and his offer to release a criminal, but these are not glowing reviews by the Bible's authors. In the end, Pilate willingly authorized the execution of a man he thought was innocent of a capital crime. Josephus and Philo add a bit more to our knowledge. Philo claims that Pilate was inflexible, stubborn, and cruel in disposition. And together, the historians record two major conflicts he's said to have had with the Jews. First, Pilate attempted to bring golden shields with idolatrous images on them into Jerusalem. To the Jews, it was altogether inappropriate to have idolatrous images in the same city that housed God's temple. So the faithful traveled to Pilate's palace in Caesarea, and when threatened with death, they exposed their necks, preferring death over the defilement of Jerusalem. Pilate, in this case, backed down. He spared their lives and removed the standards. The other incident recorded is how Pilate used money from the temple treasury to complete an aqueduct in Jerusalem. The people caught wind and began to protest, so Pilate sent his guards out in plain clothes among the people with instructions to use non-deadly force. But the situation became a bloodbath with the soldiers killing many. Modern historians have theorized that Pilate had a working relationship with Caiaphas the high priest, noting how Caiaphas alone controlled the temple's money and that Josephus does not say anything about him being coerced. It's worth noting that while Philo and Josephus seem to speak negatively of Pilate's character, there were only two major conflicts that happened during his long rule as governor. There we go, Pontius Pilate from history, at least what we can reconstruct from him relatively reliably. Really interesting stuff. Very good, thank you so much, Corey. October 21st, we're gonna be live in person yeah. at Faith Gospel Tabernacle in Brampton, Ontario, Canada. So make sure that you, uh, if you can, we'd love to see you, love to meet you. One till 5.30, be there. Go to our website and register, BibleDiscoveryTV.com, BibleDiscoveryTV.com, so we know how many are coming. And, uh, it'll be really, really fun. Join us there. Janice? You know what? Jesus is coming back. Yes, he is. He's coming back. And John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. And today what I want to focus in on is the attitude that John had. You know, um, we see here in uh, Luke chapter 3, John is preaching to the people. He gives this message. He's talking to them. And by verse 15, it says, Now as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water. But one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And he goes on and he immediately does not take any of the honor, any of the praise. He rightly puts all of the attention, all of the praise, all of the worship to the Lord Jesus Christ on whom it is due. So this is that same attitude that we today as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ need to live our lives. That attitude, you know, we are not worthy ourselves to do up the sandal straps of Jesus, are we? And yet we are allowed to sit at his feet and listen to his teaching and what he has done. Those nails went through those beautiful feet for us. He thought of you. He thought of me while he was on that cross. And 
that is something that I think some of us have forgotten. And we need to remember the holiness and the awesomeness of our God and his mercy and his compassion. And that we need to worship him as Lord, as King, as God. Let's do that today. Let's have that attitude. Do you remember in Matthew's gospel, when Jesus came to be baptized by John, there too, John tried to prevent him from being baptized by him. It was John that said, it, it should be you that baptizes me. And yet Jesus said, no, it's, this is the rightful thing for us to do. Jesus lets us take part in his work, in his service to build the kingdom of Christ. It does not earn our salvation. Let me be very clear on that. Jesus is the one who has done the work. Jesus is the one who has paid the cost of our sin. But when we recognize that, when we realize the love and the mercy of God and what he has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ, and giving us the gift of eternal life with him, we just want to love him and we want others to learn to love him. And by so doing, we need to share our testimony with our family, with our friends, with our coworkers, so that we can tell the world that there is a hope and his name is Jesus. And the best way for us to do that is to have a relationship, a personal relationship one-on-one -on -one with him when we can get his word into our hearts and into our minds so that we can live it. You know, our actions speak a lot louder than our words, don't they? We can say a lot of things, but our, it's our reactions. So let's ask God, let's ask his Holy Spirit who dwells within us when we accept Christ into our hearts, when we've asked him for his forgiveness, to help us to change, to help us to be strong, to help us to be bold in our faith, not obnoxious in our faith, but to actually live out in our decisions and in our actions what we know to be true and rightful in God's eyes, not what we think, but what God says. Let's focus on those things today, shall we? Let's prepare the way of the Lord because Jesus is coming back very soon. October 21st is coming quickly, and so make sure that you get on the website, BibleDiscoveryTV.com, and register with us. It's free, but come to Faith Gospel Tabernacle in Brampton, Ontario, Canada. We'll be there live. Love to meet you. Love to see you on a special day. So hopefully you'll be there. We pray today, Father, Lord, I repent of my sins. Help me to live according to your wonderful word. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask these things, and we said together, 
Amen.